in a minute. Huh? Hey, we're about to start, Noah. Come on. So give it, give it to her. Hey, good morning, good morning, everyone. Um, glad to be with you all this morning um, to worship the Lord together. If you want to stand with me, we'll begin this morning with our call to worship um, taken from Psalm 34. This is a great psalm where we're reminded that at all times we're called to bless the Lord in adversity, in hardship, in prosperity. At all times we're called to bless the Lord. So if you'll, I'll read the bold section if you'll read after the non-bold section. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. If you want to remain standing and turn to hymn number three, we'll sing, Holy, Holy, Holy.
Good morning. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. And you'll also find it, the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5. It's pretty simple. You shall not steal. Of course, as we found out last week, uh, although Jesus doesn't speak directly toward this like he did adultery or murder, uh, steal is more than just the physical stealing. It's a stealing of maybe from time from your employer, maybe stealing joy in your family. So stealing has uh, larger implications. I think it also implies the fact that uh, to steal something means that, so, it, that we, we possess something. And granted, we're stewards. We're stewards of these things because all things are the Lord's. But he allows us to be stewards of things of, of our own possession. So that doesn't, it means we don't go to somewhere else and take somebody else's stuff. We actually have our own stuff, and he's, he's given us stewardship over that. If you would all pray this prayer of confession with me. Heavenly Father, you have created us and richly provided for us. You have given us food and shelter and every good thing. Yet in our sin and greed, we have taken what is not ours and broken your holy law. Whether it's time from our employers, money, or material possessions, we have stolen. Forgive us, Lord, for the sake of Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to look not to earthly things, but to our heavenly and eternal possession, which cannot be shaken. Amen. We're going to sing in Christ alone.
righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. some of those, the most wonderful words of encouragement. Even first world problems. 831 through 39 says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are all being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, 
We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in awe of your sovereign grace, Lord. We are in awe of the provision that you've provided for us, Lord. Even in times of struggle, even in times of need, even in times of want, we find in you no want. Lord, we lift up those that we know of here now, Lord, people that I don't even, I'm not even aware of. I'm, I'm thinking of Pastor Coates up in Canada who's been in prison, regardless of uh, the issues around that. Father, I'm thinking of our brothers and sisters in Scotland who, from my understanding, they've shut down Scotland now and the churches they can't meet, they're not supposed to meet. These are trying times, Lord. And we find our hope and you, we find our encouragement in your truth, in the word that you have left us, Lord. May we graze and ruminate on your word, Lord. May we find sustenance in your word, Lord, as we yield to your spirit, Father, in Jesus' name. So in our Orthodox Catechism, number, question number 28, How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? And if you would all join me in the answer, read, read the answer along with me, please. That we may be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and that in all things, whatever may befall us, we place our firm trust in our faithful God and Father, that nothing shall separate us from his love since all creatures are so in his hand that without his will they cannot so much as move. Amen, amen. You all can be seated. Um, normally we would continue our study through the book of Romans this morning, but this morning I have the honor and privilege of welcoming um, Pastor Bruce and his wife Sue this morning. They've come down from Joliet. They actually arrived last night, I believe, and they had the honor and privilege of going to one of Decatur's finest restaurants, <laughs> the Olive Garden. <laughs> so <laughs> it was a last minute thing, and so that's what worked out. But um, Bruce uh, has been very gracious to drive over two hours to come and be with us this morning. Uh, Bruce and others were part of founding New Covenant Community Church up in Joliet, I believe in 95, if I'm correct. So he's been a pastor there for over 20 years. They have over 200 members. And recently, he has taken a new role for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church of Regional Home Missionary. So he's been going around to other churches and encouraging them. And he found out about what was going on and graciously gave up time to come and Bring the word with us this morning. So, if you'd welcome Bruce this morning. 
Thank you, Kendall and uh, Daryl uh, and everybody. It's really good to be here. It's a great privilege to uh, be with you this morning. Uh, we, we do have a heart for uh, pioneers. You have to have some, something of pioneer in you to plant a church. And uh, so we, we understand that. We appreciate it very much. Uh, I commend you in the Lord for what you're doing. It's a difficult thing to do, but a very necessary thing. New churches need to be planted all the time. This is true throughout church history. Uh, churches come and they go, they fade, they lose their path, they lose their way, and uh, new churches need to be planted. So it's, in a way, we make, make no apology for that. This is what has to be done. The gospel must be kept pure. A great priority is the preaching of Christ, isn't it? The great priority is clarity in the gospel, preaching the gospel, even with all of its sharp edges. That's the great priority. And so, praise God, we can be a part of this and uh, see the Lord build his church. So thank you. Thanks for the welcome. It is, it's, really, we view, it's a great privilege to be here. We, we really view it as a privilege and blessing. And so, thank you. It's, 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 it's wonderful. I want to turn this morning to Acts, Book of Acts, and I understand uh, uh, Pastor Kendall had... Uh, preached a bit in the book of Acts, so I don't want to redo what he's done. That's not my goal at all, but just to, uh, just because I love the message of, of the book, primarily. So Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read Acts chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. And of course, at this point in the book of Acts, there's a lot going on. There's been a lot going on. Uh, you could say that the church is spreading like wildfire at this point. It's spreading like wildfire, and there's nothing that the antagonistic religious authorities can do to stop it. There's nothing they can do to stop it. And that's one of the, that's, that's one of the beauties, uh, or beautiful themes, I think, in the book of Acts. So that's what's going on, we come to chapter 5 here. And I'll begin reading at verse 17 and read to the end of the chapter. Uh, this is God's word. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. When the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain and the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charge you to not teach in this name, yet you have, here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. 
And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody. And a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. When they called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. God's holy word. May he write upon our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, grant us, we pray now, the illumination of your Holy Spirit, that we might see, Lord, the glory of our Savior. Uh, fill us with joy as we think about the greatness of Jesus, our King, exalted to your right hand, glorified, and with his church, with us, to the end of the age. Lord Jesus, we look to you, that you would be glorified. And Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we've already uh, seen from what we just read and what we just said, uh, there is no stopping Jesus. There is no stopping Jesus. That's certainly what we see proven in the resurrection, isn't it? And in all that uh, follows in the book of Acts. Satan had done his worst and surely thought that he had crushed Jesus forever. But our Jesus conquered sin and death. You remember these words of our Savior recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 10. He said, no one takes my life from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. There's no stopping Jesus. Really, stopping Jesus has never even been a possibility. No stopping Jesus. We could well say that's the theme of the whole Bible isn't it, from cover to cover. There's no stopping Jesus. Since man's fall in the garden, and that first ancient promise that Jesus, the seed of the woman, would crush the head of the serpent, yes, from that ancient promise to the end of the age when King Jesus returns and the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ, there's no stopping Jesus. We need very much, the church very much needs to hear this message today. Especially, well, the Jesus needs to hear this message all the time. (laughs) 
There's no stopping our Lord. There's no stopping our King. Who's really in control? That's one of the big questions, isn't it? Who's really in control? There's no stopping Jesus. That's really the theme that we see throughout the whole of the Gospel accounts, isn't it? We see the Son of God becoming a man in order to redeem a people for himself, taking to himself our humanity, doing for us what we could never do for ourselves. We see demons running for cover. We see disease and sickness and deformities eradicated. We see the dead raised. We see men brought to faith and changed forever. And yes, the gospel writers finish their accounts telling of death itself being defeated in the resurrection of Jesus. There's no stopping Jesus. Probably always by now, this is going to be my theme this morning, right? <laughs> that's the theme we see here. We say that's the theme we certainly see in the Gospels. And we want to focus this morning on this passage in the book of Acts, and we see the same truth here, don't we? As Luke begins his writing of the book of Acts, he refers back to his Gospel account in this way, and I'm sure Pastor Kendall referred to this when he's in, in Acts, but he refers back to his Gospel account in this way. He says, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up, after he had given commands to the apostles whom he had chosen. So in his writing of the book of Acts, Luke then relates, of course, all that Jesus continued to do. The raised from the dead, exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus began to build his church and continued to do so, and continues to do so, to this day, praise God. And there's nothing, really nothing, that Satan or the powers of darkness can do to thwart the building of his church. There's nothing they can do. The risen, exalted Jesus is always building his church. And there's nothing that Satan can do about it. We certainly see that in the book of Acts, don't we? There's no stopping Jesus. And yes, that's... The wonderful truth we see in the text that we read just a couple minutes ago. We see these two questions answered here. And these will be my main points this morning. These two questions closely related. First this. Can the church of Jesus be crushed? You know the answer, don't you? No. It can't possibly be crushed. And the second question is this. Who is in control? Very important question we say for our day, isn't it? For every day, but our day in particular, we might say. Who really is in control? Who's in, really? Who's in control today? Who's in control? And you know the answer to that, don't you? But we need to be reminded of it. This is one of the reasons we come together on the Lord's Day, isn't it? We come together on the Lord's Day... We come down the Lord's Day for one great reason, because this was the day on which our Savior was raised, and we're reminded of that every time we worship them. Jesus was raised on this day. Our Savior conquered death on this day. And so we rejoice in that together, don't, don't we, when we come? So can the church of Jesus be crushed? No. Who really is in control? So can the church of Jesus be crushed? No. You know the answer. Don't, because I don't need to preach, right? <laughs> no, please, preach. You know, we need preaching. I need to hear Christ preached. 
This is what puts wind in my sails as a Christian. This is what I need. I need to see my Savior with eyes of faith again. I need to know Jesus as Savior and Lord and to make him known. That's what the banners say. There we go. Yeah, they say it right there. <laughs> Can the church of Jesus Christ be crushed? No. Now, just a bit of important background in the chapters leading up to this. We said a few minutes ago, the church is spreading like wildfire here. Jesus is building his church, and there's nothing that Satan can do to stop it. So you got Acts chapter 2, right? Day of Pentecost. Jesus pours forth his spirit, the great promise, the pouring forth of the spirit. He pours forth his spirit upon his church. There's the apostolic band with others gathered in the upper room. Large crowd, large crowd gathers when they hear what's going on there, the, ru- the, mush, uh, the, the, mush, the rush of wind, right? <laughs> Peter preaches in the power of the Spirit to the Jews gathered there, and 3,000 are added to the church. And the church continues to increase. Luke writes, the Lord added daily to those who were saved. So daily increase. Daily increase. That's what's going on today. Daily increase. There's no stopping Jesus. Acts chapter 3 and 4. Peter and John are in the temple. The lame man is healed by the power of Jesus. What a spectacle. You can just imagine this, right? All this activity in the temple. Lame man's healed. All the people run to Solomon's portico to see what's going on. Peter preaches. That's the key, right? Peter preaches. (laughs) Many believe. Peter and John are arrested. At this point, the number of the saints has reached 5,000. There's no stopping Jesus. Peter and John are released. The church prays. Great signs and wonders are done through the apostles and the power of Jesus. Great power is evidenced in the preaching. Acts chapter 5. Many signs and wonders are done through the apostles, authenticating their unique office in preaching. It authenticated their unique office in preaching. Do I need to say this? There are no more apostles today. This office was entirely extraordinary and it was temporary. Entirely extraordinary. Apostles were the proxies of Christ. That's what they were. Their teaching was the teaching of Christ. Anyway, Luke writes, None of the rest dared join them, but but the people held them in high esteem. So the apostles couldn't be rivaled in the power of their preaching, of the power that Jesus displayed through them. Everybody, in a way, everybody just had to stand back because of what was going on. Jesus was at work. Luke writes, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Multitudes of both men and women, many from Jerusalem and the surrounding region, were healed. So multitudes of both men and women. Wow. 3,000. 5,000. Multitudes. That's a lot of people. But how many do you think will be saved today? Today. March 7th, 2021. 3,000? I think about the church across the whole world now. Gospel's going global. It went global a long time ago. How many will be saved today? 3,000? 5,000? 10,000? Certainly. Surely. I mean, what's going on in China these days, huh? 
What do we think is happening? There's no stopping Jesus, and that's what we see here. Jesus was making it very clear, wasn't he? That he is very much alive. His apostles were preaching. They were preaching Christ. And Jesus was building his church. That's what's happening here. There's no stopping Jesus. Now we come to our text in Acts 5. I finally got to the text. Here we are. Get to our text in Acts chapter 5. And uh, is, is, what about the church now? Is the church about to be crushed? Now it could appear that way. It's, it's, it's kind of easy. You know, we read, we, read, we read the account of the book of Acts and we know what happens, right? We know what happens. But imagine yourself in this circumstance and you don't know what's going to happen. And the church really is in its infancy here. What's going to happen? Well, the anti-resurrectionists are in a rage. That's the Sadducees. They're in a rage here. Verse 17, the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in public prison. So the high priest and Sadducees take action. They've had enough. They're seething with jealousy. Anti-resurrectionists, that's what we're calling the Sadducees. You, you know the old thing, you know how to... How do you, who are the Sadducees? Well, they're the ones who don't believe in the res- resurrection. That's why they're Sadducee. Right? Kids, you, kids, you can remember that. You know, that's, that's why they're sad. They don't believe in the resurrection. Uh, they were the modernists. They were the liberals of the day, the Sadducees. They denied the existence of spirits. Yes, they denied the resurrection. They denied the immortality of the soul. Well, they're really in a tough spot now, aren't they? Jesus had been raised from the dead, and they don't believe in the resurrection. They got a big problem. They knew all about the empty tomb and the report of the Roman Roman guard. This is what unbelief does, by the way, doesn't it? They had plenty of evidence. Unbelief says, not enough. That's what unbelief says, not enough evidence. They knew Jesus was raised from the dead. Intellectually, they knew it, but not enough evidence. We don't need more evidence, brothers and sisters. Nobody needs any more evidence. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And here, you know, what's going on here, Book of Acts, the proofs that Jesus is alive, he's still alive, they keep rolling here, you know, and there's nothing that they can do about it. Sadducees had wanted Jesus dead. They wanted him dead. They still wanted him dead. Big problem. He's not dead. He's alive. A lot of people still want Jesus dead. I think most all of us were there once. Or we wouldn't put it that way, would we? But ultimately, unbelief wants Jesus far, at least we could say, unbelief wants Jesus far away. Talk about your religion. You can have your religion, but leave, don't talk about Jesus to me. That's the equivalent. I don't want to hear about it. That's what unbelief says. 
Why does unbelief say that? Because unbelief, or the person in their unbelief, at the bottom of their heart, they know they're guilty. They know it. They know they will stand before God. They know that in their heart of hearts. So you don't have to prove it. I mean, we talk about it. But there's a sense in which you don't really have to prove that, right? They know it in their, hearts of, in their heart of hearts. So, yeah, a lot of people still want Jesus dead. So that's a big problem. He's not dead, but we could say, well, that's a real mercy for them, actually, isn't it? That he's not dead, that he's powerful, that he's almighty, that he's merciful, he's powerful to save. That's good news, that he's alive now, isn't it? Praise God. Well, the high priests, Sadducees, they're filled with jealousy, preaching out of stock. That's what they wanted. They hated these apostles. These apostles who preached that Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. These apostles who showed forth the same power that Jesus had exhibited. The apostles who preached faith in Jesus for salvation. And they're gaining multitudes of followers. Or we could say Jesus really is gaining multitudes of followers here, isn't he? Well, they hate these apostles. Hey, and if you preach the gospel, the world will hate you. Kendall, you preach the gospel, the world will hate you for it. Brothers and sisters, you bring the gospel. This is the normal reaction of unbelief to the gospel, isn't it? You'll be hated. Now, it isn't always you'll be put to death. That happens in places in the world. We know this. But you'll certainly be shunned. You won't be invited to the party. All right? Or if you invited the party, it would be like the skunk at the picnic, right? You ever experienced that? Yeah, we have. That's the nature of the case. The great antithesis, right? Between belief and unbelief, that's the story of the scriptures from Genesis to the end, isn't it? That's what we see. We see it here. We see the opposition. So the apostles are arrested, they're jailed, they're held for trial, and presumably to be put to death. Things look very bleak here. Humanly speaking, they do. I mean, these are the leaders of the church. They're arrested. We presume the desire of the Sadducees is indeed to sentence them to death. That's what's in the works here. So yes, it would seem, humanly speaking, that things are very bleak, but... But, <laughs> Jesus is alive. <laughs> he's alive. And he's enthroned. And he rules in this world. He rules over evil in this world. you believe that? Yes. You've you, you got to come at that with faith, don't you? You really do. Because the unbeliever will come at you and say, how can you say God rules in the world, right? Because look at all the bad things that are happening. He's the one who over, look at the cross, there's the proof of it. He ultimately, his plan and his heart is, is, is the overruling of evil. So we see this. Jesus is enthroned. All authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. And so we see this very bleak, humanly speaking, this very bleak situation. Here we see uh, the simple divine solution. This deliverance from prison, right? It's, it's so very simple. It's so easily executed. What does it teach us? What does this deliverance teach us? I, I think it teaches us this, certainly. It teaches us that Jesus 
can deliver his people at any time. He chooses to do so when it serves his glory. He can deliver them any time so long as it serves his glory. Now, sometimes he doesn't deliver his people. Sometimes he, he, yes, he allows his people to be put to death because it serves his glory. And he snatches them away to heaven immediately, and they're fine, okay? They're fine. Finer than us at that point, right? But sometimes he allows his people to be put to death. I mean, Satan has found out that's not a very good strategy. We understand. Satan's found out it's not a good strategy for trying to snuff out the church. He puts, he puts Christians to death and the church grows. But a very simple solution here, the Jesus angel is dispatched, verse 19. During the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So what do we see here? We see deliverance. The angel opens the prison doors. He brings the apostles past the guards. Uh, maybe, maybe the angel renders them uh, frozen in place, oblivious, something like that. No problem. Really, this is no problem at all. The angel gives a command, doesn't he? Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And then we see the apostles' quick obedience. When they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to preach. This is beautiful. There's no stopping Jesus. They're delivered from prison. They're given the command. Go to the temple. There they are at daybreak. They're standing at the temple doors, a line of apostles ready to go in and preach the gospel. Isn't that beautiful? And there they go. They're fearless in their preaching here. How do we explain this? They have the same power that we do. Same power that we do. We, don't, we never want to lose sight of this. How can they be as bold as lions here? How is it that they, they, they can speak the way they do? They didn't need to see angels. I mean, it's a wonderful thing to be delivered by the angel, right? That's a beautiful thing. <laughs> but they didn't really need to see the angel to be convinced. They just needed a word from the Lord, and they spoke it. So here they are, lined up the temple. They open the doors, they go in, preaching starts all over again. There's no stopping Jesus. So, now to our second question. It's, it's really already been answered, but we see it answered here more fully. We can say with an exclamation point, who is in control? Oh, I already answered that question, didn't I? Who is in control here? Really, who's in control? We see Jesus' enemies' plans are entirely foiled. So verse 21, when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council and all the senate of Israel and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, we found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. So, surprise, an empty jail cell, doors locked, Guards still stationed outside. I mean, who can do these sorts of things? The living God, that's the answer. The living God, as it serves his purpose, and his purpose is that his church should be established, and there's no stopping this.
Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. Well, they didn't have to wait long. Someone came and told them, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Double surprise. The escapees are preaching in the temple. Isn't this beautiful? Who's in control here, really? Who's in control? Well, now the captain and officers are more careful in, in retrieving the prisoner, or retrieving these men, the apostles, <laughs> conducting them back to the council. Uh, the scripture says, Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. So now they're more careful, right? Uh, 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 brothers, will you come with us? You know, we, the council would like to meet with you. Please, let's not cause a disturbance here. Uh, let's, please come with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, you know. A little more careful now. Why? Jesus will have his way. And they have some sense of that. Not that we say, we're not saying they believe in Jesus at this point. We don't say that. But they have some sense that a greater power is at work here. And they see that power in its particular expression in the zeal and the encouragement and the attention of the people. And they don't want to contradict them now. So come with us, please, you know, to the council. Thank you, thank you. Come with us. Thank you. All right, just wait here. You want any water? Um, anything we can do for you? Bathroom's over there, you know. Uh, they're much more careful. So Jesus' enemies had gathered to bring charges and to pass sentence of death, they hoped. It turns out that King Jesus has arranged for them to hear a sermon. Isn't that gracious? Really, think about this. Think about the mercy of God here. Here are the antagonists of Christ, entirely against him. And he arranges for them to hear a sermon, a gospel sermon here. It's beautiful. He arranges for them, and of course all the elements here are very important. Well here, uh, the high priest interrogates. Get, I mean, get, get an idea of this again, in terms of humanly speaking, the thread of this now again. The high priest is the interrogator. He's the prosecuting attorney, so to speak, isn't he? He's basically the, uh, the chief justice of the Supreme Court. He's interrogating them now. Now, humanly speaking, they're in big hot water. Is that, right? Is that the right way to say it? Big hot water. Hot, hot water. Okay. They're in hot water. He says, high priest, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet you have here filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. They disobeyed the council's order. Serious offense. Humanly speaking. Notice, by the way, here the high priest steadfastly avoids using the name of Jesus. He doesn't use his name. He talks about this man, right? And he says, uh, you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Remember what the Jews said when they were stirred up by the Sadducees not so very long before this? Hmm? Let his blood be upon us. That's what they said. Hypocrites. Those in unbelief are always hypocrites. They can't help it. Now, I'm not by that trying to say something mean about people, okay? It's, it's unavoidable. If I'm in unbelief, I will end up being a hypocrite. Amen. I'll say one thing out of this side of my mouth and, so, and the, uh, something else out of the other side. Now, I, I need to qualify this. 
the unbeliever will often say, well, aren't there hypocrites in the church? There have always been hypocrites in the church. Um, there have always been false, false those who are false, who, who infiltrate, they're, they're in the church. That's always been the case. So we shouldn't be surprised by that, right? But it's just a matter of where do you want to live out your hypocrisy now? You want to live it out religiously or you want to live it out in a pagan sense? Just choose. How do you want to do that, right? Well, we see the apostles, the church's testimony here. Verse 29, wonderful. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Am I going too long here, by the way? Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> I see that hand. <laughs> now, now, clearly there's been the threat of death here, but the apostles are as bold as lions, we say. Who's really in control? Jesus is in control. So the Sanhedrin had forbidden the apostles to preach in the name of Jesus. Who were they to obey? God or man? Who do you obey? Jesus or man? Who do you obey? It's a simple choice, actually, isn't it? Who do you obey? The king of the world or my uncle? <laughs> or whatever, you know. Who do you obey? It's a fundamental question for every believer, isn't it? It gets to the heart of who we are, how we're made as Christians now. Jesus had commanded the apostles to preach the message of salvation, to preach him, to preach Christ. Men commanded them to stop. Who are they to obey? The choice is very clear. You're asking us to disobey God, Peter says. You are in direct opposition to God here. One must obey God. Well, here we see, don't we, uh, something of the heart of the gospel message, the church's gospel message. Verse 30. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. Look, look how the, the boldness of the apostle, he throws these contrasts in their face. You killed Jesus. That's pretty bold, isn't it? You killed Jesus. God Raised him from the dead. That's a real mercy when you think about it again. Jesus is the prince and savior. He's the true leader of his people. He's the only savior of his people. The Greek word there means source or author or beginner. Jesus is the source. He's the author of salvation. And Jesus has been exalted to God's right hand for this very purpose. For what purpose? To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. What a wonderful purpose. So, fundamental parts of the gospel here, right? Number one, you're guilty. This always has to be a part of the gospel message, right? You're in sin. Uh, Jesus is king, prince and savior. Jesus alone saves. Fundamental to the gospel message. So I have a load of sin to answer for. Really, I have a mountain. You do, all of us do. We understand this. All of us have a mountain of sin to answer for. And there's only one person in the world who can solve that problem and has at the cross, right? I have a mountain of sin to answer for. Now, of course, the other part of it is I need a perfect righteousness. That's the other part, right? I mean, if, if my mountain of sins are forgiven, I'm sort of brought to level zero. <laughs> I still need positive righteousness in order to stand before God. 
Only Jesus Christ solves that problem. So fundamental elements of the gospel here, right? As Peter's preaching. You know, it's important to see this, I think. It's Peter's, Peter's preaching, and he's not, you know, getting back at him. It's not that. He's not preaching angry here. He's really not. You killed Jesus. God raised him from the dead. He's exalted him to his right hand. He's the prince and savior. And he's been raised and he's exalted to God's right hand in order to bring repentance and salvation to God's people. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ gives repentance. Isn't that a good thing? Jesus Christ gives repentance and forgiveness of sins. I don't achieve that myself. I can't achieve repentance. I can't work it up, right? Just like the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches the gospel, right? And they're cut to the heart. Men and brethren, what shall we do? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Amen. We see here very clearly the church's testimony is a spirit-empowered testimony. Peter says, we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. God has given the Holy Spirit to all of those who have trusted in Christ alone, every single one. And that spirit is the spirit of power. You know, the scripture says that very clearly. Spirit of power. And so there's a sense in which all of us, I I think I'm safe in saying this here. Um, I mean, I realize a lot of you have four-square background now, so when I say this, you know, it could be confusing, but there is that true sense in which all of us are prophets. This is the universal office of believer, right? By which we simply mean all of us have received the Holy Spirit and all of us must speak because we have the truth. Praise be to God. By the grace of God, we have the truth. And, all of, and he gives us this boldness, which we need. We very much need it. All of us are under pressure. We very much need this power to speak, don't we? And Jesus Christ, our King on his throne, gives us this power. So, power of the Holy Spirit, it's a spirit-empowered testimony. Now, who's it? Again, who's in control here? (laughs) King Jesus, on his throne, is the one who's in control. And he's providing for his people all that they need. Power to live for him. Power to bear witness for him. Power to rejoice in him, even as they suffer for his namesake. That's what we see at the end of the chapter, isn't it? Now, you kids, you know I'm reaching the end now. This is the point at which the kids say, well, one of our little granddaughters, you know, you get to the, you get to, you, we're getting to the final hymn, and the final hymn's announced. Yes! Hooray! And then she gets, you know, and then she gets up during the hymn, and she's like, <laughs> and she doesn't have an all the hymns, actually, but... The last hymn, especially. So, and I know, I know what it's like. We all know what it's like to be little kids, right? You sit on these chairs. The circulation's getting cut off in your lower legs because your legs don't reach the floor. You know, it's it's tough. You know, this guy keeps going on and on, and finally he says, "We're at the end of the sermon now." Huh? <laughs> Here we are. <clears throat> the church continues to thrive. There's no stopping Jesus. 
Believers here, they're persecuted yet rejoicing. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. There's the message. Jesus as the Christ. Jesus as the anointed one from God. Jesus as the only Savior, in other words. Jesus as the, as the only one who's fulfilled the will of God to secure the salvation of men. He's the only one. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's no other way. Now, this is another thing you get flagged for, right? You preach this? No other way? Are you really saying all other religions are false? Yes. Yes. Uh, Satan's been in the false religion business a long, long, long time, ever since the garden, actually. So he'll always be, he'll always be perpetrating false religion. Um, anyway, there we are. Can the church of Jesus be crushed? We answer our question, right? Can the church of Jesus be crushed? Never. Who is in control here? Really? It's our king who's in control. Who's in control here this morning? Indicator. Who's really in control? Indicator. You know the answer. In Springfield, is it Governor Prisker? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, no offense. But whoever is the governor, I hope that's not the case. Who's in control in Washington, D.C.? It's our king who's in control, ultimately. And we rest in that, don't we? We rest in that. He's building his church, isn't he? He will build his church. He promised us. So how do we need to pray? We need to pray for the power of Jesus to be displayed in this day. This is our task, isn't it? It's, it's yours in Decatur. Pray for the power of Jesus to be displayed in Decatur. Yes. Uh, we're praying for this. You're praying for this. We're praying for the power of Jesus to be displayed across the world, aren't we? And we know he will do this. It's wonderful to pray a prayer. You know he will answer. Hmm? It's wonderful to think in Decatur. How big is Decatur? How many people? 80,000. 80, oh, I'll say a lot. Plenty of unbelievers. Um, plenty of work to do, right? Could there be too many churches in Decatur? Sometimes people will come to you with that question, right? Or, or that allegation. Huh? Another church. Why does there need to be another church? Well, last I checked, last I checked, there are probably about 70,000 unbelievers here. Probably. And the Lord has a lot of people in this city, doesn't he? And how will he bring them to himself? He'll bring them to himself by the preaching of the word, by the preaching of the gospel. That's how. So, we need to pray for the power of Jesus to be displayed. Our culture is increasingly against Jesus and antagonist to the gospel. We understand this. Social unrest all around us would seem to severely hinder the going forth of the gospel, the growing cultural antagonism. Resistance to the gospel would seem to hinder. Can it? Can it really hinder the gospel? The important question. Of course not. Of course not. There's no stopping Jesus. A virus cannot stop him. A governor's order cannot stop him. Sheltering at home cannot stop him. Social distancing cannot stop him. 
Political unrest cannot stop Jesus. The LGBTQ agenda cannot stop Jesus. Communist Party in China can't stop Jesus. I wonder what's going on in China right now. Hmm? Perhaps great revival. I think probably great revival in China right now. Oh, wait, Communist Party is making things very difficult. It doesn't matter. Now, I'm not saying persecution doesn't matter. I'm not saying we don't pray for those who are being persecuted. We do. And Jesus has to sustain his people in the face of persecution. But there's no stopping Jesus when the church is being persecuted. Jesus Christ is very much alive. Uh, the church broadly, especially in our country, is in a very bad state. We understand that. In many places, the church is just downright dead. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm OPC, I'm Orthodox Presbyterian Church, not to be confused with PCUSA, which is a very dead, unbelieving church at this point. All right? Often I have to explain this to people. You know, oh, you're a Presbyterian. You know, they read things in the newspaper. I say, not that. <laughs> not that kind. There's still believing Presbyterians out there. All right? But the church is dead in many places. The church in many places is playing games. Putting on concerts. Really? Is that what Paul did? Of course, they didn't have electricity there. I was talking about this the other night, wasn't I? Uh, Andrew, we, we, I referred to this, I know, last night. You know, it's, I mean, if you use, use the methods of the world, right? Like the church. If the apostles were using the methods of the world, when they went into the, into the cities in, in the ancient world, they would, have had, they would have set up theater troops. Theater was widely popular. In, in that day, right? So what, let's, okay, let's get a theater troupe. We'll get a theater troupe together. And this is really the way to communicate Jesus to our culture, right? This is really the way to do it. Answer, no, it's not the way to do it. The apostles understood all about these things. They did. And in their ministry, you see the apostolic strategy for the fulfillment of the Great Commission. That's what you see. And they had it right. And we need to follow suit, don't we? Well, we need to pray for the power of our testimony in these days. We can pray for the power of God. Let me just say again as I close. You know, the, the enemy really hates what you're doing here. <laughs> he really hates it. Uh, Kendall, he hates you big time. You've got a big target on your back, you know? Daryl, he hates you. But all of you, really, he hates what you're doing here. He will oppose you. But it doesn't matter. There's no stopping Jesus. So you proceed according to his word. You preach Christ and him crucified. You trust Jesus' appointed means to build his church, the word, the sacraments, and prayer. Those are the means he has always used to build his church. He's never used any other means to build his church. Let's be straight on that, right? Whatever the world says, whatever the expert, you know, church growth guys say, right? Whatever they're saying, you know, you gotta go to the community, do your demographics, right? You gotta, okay, now you gotta, um, oh, where are the lights? Well, you got lights, but, and you need like a light show here, don't you? 
Don't you need a, uh, you, got, you better jazz this up if you're going to get people to come. We said last night, didn't we? I mean, it's, it's relatively easy to gather a group of people. That's easy to do. What you need to do is to preach Christ. Because that's the only thing that's ever changed a heart. Ever. Amen. And Lord's Day by Lord's Day, you need to preach Christ. Because that's the only thing that changes my heart week by week. I need to hear my Savior preached again. I need to have my eyes lifted to him again. I need to hear again that Jesus did everything for me, period. Everything. And now I can say, right? Now I'm free. He's done everything for me. I don't need to work. I don't need to perform. I don't need to keep performing to keep his favor, right? Jesus has done everything for me. So trust in Jesus' appointed means to build his church, the word, the sacraments, and prayer, because that is the only thing that Satan fears. That's the only thing he respects. That's the only thing. Praise the Lord. And let's pray. Our Father, we give you thanks that Jesus is Lord. This is our confession. Jesus is Lord. We're yours, we belong to you, we're your blood-bought ones. We pray your work in our hearts. Father, write these things upon our hearts uh, that we might uh, more and more live for you, increase our faith, increase our love for you and for one another. We pray that Jesus will be made greater in our hearts. We ask it in his name. Amen. Amen. Pastor Bruce. And now we come to the Lord's Supper, where after hearing the word, so wonderfully put, that Christ has done it all, we get to be reminded of that. But not just reminded of what God has done in the past, but what God is doing now and what God will do in the future through his son. And we partake of this every week as we're reminded that as surely as Christ's body was broken, that those that partake of Christ by faith will be spared from God's wrath. And that as surely as we drink the cup, we're reminded that Christ's blood was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we can say that this truly is a means of grace like we do every week. That it's not just a memory, but it is much more than that. It is where we are partaking of Christ by faith. And it's a great assurance as Bruce talked about, we've heard the word, and now we get to be assured by God's ordinances. And so we're going to do that this morning. But before we do that, we do something called fencing the table, where we say that if you're not a believer, if you have not trusted in Christ by faith, that you don't partake, lest you eat and drink judgment upon yourself. But if you are a believer, this is a time to rejoice, a time to come before God confessing our sins as we do every week, not only in the liturgy, but individually, but also rejoicing. And so we get to do that this morning. So we're reminded of our Lord's words on the night that he was betrayed. He took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it 
in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we remember that this morning. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, you have secured for us a new and living way, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by the blood of your only begotten Son. We come this morning weak and weary sinners, and if we're honest, afraid, sometimes afraid for our lives, sometimes afraid for our social status. So we come confessing these things this morning, and we come reminded that you have, as we read this morning in Romans 8, spared nothing in giving us your only begotten Son, that by his blood, by faith, we have been cleansed from all of our sins and given a perfect righteousness. Help us to remember that this morning and by faith, by faith partake of Christ this morning. And so we set aside these humble, common elements. We set them apart to you now. And we trust that just as truly as we eat and drink these elements, by faith that we are assured that you have sent your Son broken his body, poured out his blood so that we might be forgiven. Help us to trust in these things and to know that we receive into our souls for our spiritual life the true body and blood of Christ. Amen. Amen. So we're going to form a line this morning. Come as you're able. Um, We'll form a line if you'll uh, receive the elements, circle back to your seat, and we'll partake of them together. So, like we do every week, we come and we take this together as one people reminded 
not only of our union with one another, but our union with the triune God. So this bread which we break is a communion, the body of Christ. Take, eat, remember, and believe that the body of our Lord was broken for the forgiveness of all of our sins. This cup of wine that we drink is a communion with the blood of Christ. We're, we're reminded that Christ's blood has been spilled for the forgiveness of all of our sins. So take, drink, remember, and believe that Christ's blood was spilled for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen. Praise be to God. If you want to stand with me, we'll now respond by singing the great hymn number 61, Great is Thy Faithfulness.
Um, you can be seated. Well, this is now a time where we will receive the tithes and offerings, and we're reminded each week of God's provision for our lives and providing for us all these great spiritual blessings that Bruce talked about, but also financially. And so this is a time where we respond in worship to what God has done for us. So I'll pray for the offerings. Gracious Father, we thank you for this time that we get to set aside. We thank you for your provision in our lives. We pray that you would bless these offerings as an act of worship unto you and that you would multiply them for the growth of your church, Lord. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. Stand with me as we sing hymn number 13, um, the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly. from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Amen. Grace and peace as you go.